This morning's reading comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the morrow, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the morrow, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a cripple, by what means this man has been healed, be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, but which has become the head of the corner. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under the heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they wondered and, and they, they recognised that they, they had been, been with Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. And so we'll continue our series and this particular Sunday we're now looking at another uh, slogan of the Reformation, one of the one of the five solas. And today we're looking at Sola Christus. Sola Christus. Christ alone. And we live in a society today that actually honours itself by um, seen itself as being very, very tolerant and, and likes to think of itself as educated and tolerant and, and forward thinking. And we like, many, many people in, this, in, in the present age like to entertain this notion that in fact all religions, all religions, no matter what, what nature they are, how, how, they, um, how they actually present God, all religions, because they are aiming to focus upon God, that they ultimately lead to God rather like the old ancient uh, motto that all roads lead to Rome and therefore all religions lead to God. All religions lead to God. And some people have this in their mind almost that we live in a society whereby it's rather like having an atlas and planning a route between Colchester and Glasgow. And you can use various atlas to get there. You can use this one here. You could use the AS, uh, sorry, the AA atlas. Or you can use the REC atlas. Now, other people may prefer to use the Reader's Digest atlas. Until others say, atlases, they're, they're passe, they're, they're old school. I prefer to use a sat-nav. But some will say, well, I'm a Garmin person. And another person will say, well, oh, no, no, not Garmin. I prefer TomTom. But they will all use their atlases or their sat-nav and eventually they will get to Glasgow, coming from Colchester. 
But world religions are quite distinct and different. An atlas is based upon the same map. It's based upon the same geography. And although publishers may print different details and use different colours to determine the, 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 the ground and the, and, and the nature of the actual picture itself and the size of the grid, but the topography is in essence, in, in essence the same. The rivers are in the same places. The cities are where they should be. The hills and the valleys and the mountains are where they are on all maps. So basically, as long as you leave here and start to head north, you know, and follow these main features, you will eventually find yourself on the way from Colchester to Glasgow and you'll reach, reach your destination. But the topography of the world's religions is very, very different. And not only different, they're very contradictory. Hinduism, for example, has no founder, it has no prophet or set creed. It's rather a way of living, and, it, and um, it is a religion closely linked with its mother country, India, which is why the name Hindu originates from the Persian, and it literally means Indian. Radhash Rishan, a former president of India, said this. He said, Hinduism is more of a culture than a creed. And Buddhism is very similar. A Buddhist will tell you that the way to God or the Atman is via meditation and good works. But the state of Nirvana is found via contemplation. It's learn, learning how to meditate and therefore to self-elevate into the divine mystery and essence that is God. Islam, again, is very different. And while and Islam itself says that to become a Muslim, you must submit. This is what Islam means, to submit to Allah and follow the teachings of Muhammad. It asserts that Allah is God and Muhammad it is, is his prophet, period. And the way to Allah is via the teachings of Muhammad and the five pillars of Islam. The problem here is that Islam actually teaches against the teachers, teachings of Jesus. Islam originated in, 16, uh, in 660 um, AD and it was after, after Jesus had walked the earth and after Christianity had grown up and it unfortunately was very heavily influenced by a heretic monk who wasn't of the mainstream Christianity and that's who Muhammad met, met. and so the whole picture it has of Christianity is, screw, is skewed, and not only is that, it teaches against the teaching of Christianity. So, for example, it teaches that Jesus was just a man and nothing more. It says, the similitude of Jesus before Allah is that of Adam. He created him from dust, and he said to him, be, and he was. That's Quran 3, um, Surah 50, 59. And Islam denies the Trinity in Quran 4 and Surah 171. It says there, Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger of Allah. He says, say not Trinity, desist, for Allah is one God. That's Quran 4 and uh, Surah 171. And Islam denies that Jesus is the son of God. Quran 19 and 34 and Quran 112 says this, says, say he is Allah. The only, the one and only, Allah is eternal and absolute. He begetteth not, nor is he begotten. And there is none like unto him. It is not befitting to the majesty of Allah that he should beget a son. 
So Islam says, but God doesn't have a son, but Jesus isn't the son of God. In, in fact, Islam even denies that Jesus was crucified. Quran 4, Surahs 156 to 158 says this, but they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them. For of a surety they killed him not, nay, Allah raised him up unto himself. You see, we cannot simply argue that all religions lead to God if they're also very different and some, like Islam, actually brief against the core teachings of Christianity. Common sense and simple reason say they can't all be true. They can't all be true. You can't say black is white and white is black and, 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 and they're both true. They're not. Black is black and white is white. Truth cannot simply be determined by people. Truth is determined by God himself. And one of the key statements of Jesus is just this. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is categorically and emphatically saying that he is the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except by me. Sola Christos. By Jesus alone. Christ alone. And this is the centre of the Christian faith. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that Jesus Christ is the centre and circumference of the Bible. In other words, Jesus is the heart of the Bible. He surrounds it. He is everything. We heard last, last week and we've been hearing a bit about Martin Luther. And that Martin Luther himself is a man who was going through great trials. And in fact, he became a monk because he believed that taking on the monk's cloak was the surest way of getting to heaven. He was a man who was deeply troubled and deeply distressed. And the good thing about being a monk is a monk would spend his entire life using the tools of the church to buy his ticket through the pearly gates. It was his way of guaranteeing his future life, his eternal life. And becoming a monk was a very hard work for anyone. And, and, and as an Augustinian monk, he would get up at two every single day and he would pray to Mary seven times a day, saying the Salve Regina, which is a prayer to Mary that begins, Save, O Queen. And he would daily confess all his sin, sometimes confessing for as long as six hours trying to remember any minor fault or failing, because without confession there is no forgiveness. So Luther needed to remember absolutely everything he had done wrong. If he forgot one single failing, one single song, uh, sin, he would not be forgiven for it. He would visit the ancient relics of the saints to reduce some of his time in purgatory. But the work was pretty much down to his own devotion and effort. So Luther lived in constant fear. Fear that he would die before he confessed all his sins. Fear that he would, be, he would meet his end before he was ready to meet his maker. He lived in constant fear and tried to live a good, good life but was constantly aware of his inner inability to live a perfect life. Then he was told by his vicar, Dr John von Stuputz, he was told that he was going to become the new professor of the Bible in the 
New University of Wittenberg. And so it was while preparing his lectures over those years as the chair or the professor of the Bible, that he came face to face with the teachings of the Bible and Scripture. And he came face to face with the teachings of St. Paul. And he began to learn about grace, about the nature of faith, about the fact that we cannot achieve our own salvation. And he began to learn about sola Christus, by Christ alone. And it was by his sacrifice for us upon the cross that we are saved. But no matter how much he tried as a, as a monk to live a perfect life, Jesus had lived a perfect life. It was by his work, his faithfulness, that man was saved, not his own. And so suddenly Luther began to learn the truth. And it was like, as if a, suddenly a light had come on, and a sudden peace replaced the despair and the timidity he felt in his life. He had learnt the truth that Brenda read for us earlier on in Acts 4 verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Sola Christus. And so we're looking at this today and this, 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 this whole slogan of the Reformation is really important for us in the 21st century. We've got to be bold and recognise that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And if all religions led to Rome, if all religions led to God, then that makes, that makes God quite horrifically barbarous. Because why, if, if you could get to find your way to God through Hinduism and through Islam, through uh, Buddhism and Anitaism and all the other religions, if there was already all these, these recognised roots to God, why do you need one more? And why would that require the death of the Son of God? Why go to such extremes if there's so many ways to God? The truth is there was no other way. There was ever only going to be one way. And that was through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And as the 1689 London Baptist Confession says, the office of mediator between God and humanity is appropriate for Christ only, who is the prophet, priest and king of the church of God. This office may not be transferred from him to anyone else, either in whole or in part. Or as Paul quite succinctly says to his student Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. In the Bible, so the Christus, by Jesus alone, by Christ alone, could not be clearer. It's there in black and white, time and time again. You see, there are not four mediators or four religions to God. They're not Three or even two, there is only one, the man Christ Jesus. And he was the man that God sent. This is what Christ means, the chosen one. God chose to send his son. Messiah means exactly the same, the chosen one. Not the chosen two or the chosen three. This is the chosen one. There is one way. As Jesus said, I am the it's quite helpful if we look at it through, as the uh, London Baptist Confession said in 1689, through those three roles of prophet, priest and king. And the first thing 
that's mentioned in these three roles is that Christ is the prophet. Christ is the prophet, the speaker. Now, a prophet is someone who faces two directions. First, they have to be God-facing to hear the message of God, and many to be people-facing to convey the message of God. They are like a divine trumpet, playing the message or the tune that God has given them. And so Jesus is the prophet of God. He is the voice of God. He brings us God's message. He is the one sent to instruct us in the ways of God. He points us to the Father and the Father's will. Hebrews writes about this in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, where it's written, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, who we appointed as heir of all things and through him also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus came not to be to speak, but to be God to us, because he reflects the majesty of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. He doesn't just come to speak. He shows us by who he is, by how he is. It's very interesting. In the Old Testament, lots of the prophets would enact out the message that God had given them. And that's true of Jesus. He enacts out the message that God has given, given him to bring to us all the way through his life, all the way to the cross and beyond the cross and through the resurrection to the ascension. He mirrors and shows us the work of God, the love of God, the character of God. And that's why he's actually not only described as a prophet, but he's actually called the word. He's given this this, 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 um, this title that says he is the very word. He is the very message. He becomes the very message of God. And so, of course, we know about this from John chapter 1, where John writes, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it carries on and then says in verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God's word. God speaks to mankind, all mankind, throughout this world, through Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. And he is full of grace and truth. What he says is given to us. He is our teacher. He is the one sent for us. So what happens in the beginning of his ministry when Jesus is baptised? He comes out of the water and suddenly above him the, the clouds part and there's a voice. And God affirms himself, God, sorry, God affirms his son publicly. We read about this in Matthew 17 and verse 5 where it's written, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus was on a mountainside. God was saying to the disciples, Listen to this man. He is my son. Listen to him. The danger of not having Christ at the centre of our theology is that we begin to sink into a faith that offers the world nothing but a mirror of itself. 
that says basically, written on the mirror, you're okay. But mankind isn't okay. Salvation required a saviour. Someone to save us from ourselves. We required a cross. Someone had to die for us to make us right with God. And that was God's son, Jesus Christ. A famous and celebrated theologian from America called Richard Niebuhr spoke famously of the dangers of liberalism. And unfortunately, we're beginning to slip into liberalism more and more in the 21st century. And Richard Niebuhr describes liberalism like this. A God without wrath, who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. We are at danger of losing the whole element of salvation if we don't talk about the sinfulness of humankind. We need to be saved from ourselves. You can't have a saviour if you're not being saved. If we're okay, if, we, if we're okay, basically, we, you know, we don't really need Jesus. We don't really need God. We can just crack on ourselves because we're okay. Christianity says we're not okay. The Bible says we're not okay. It says we need a saviour. There's only one saviour good enough. Sola Christus, Jesus alone. That's the message of the Bible. So Jesus is the prophet and he's also Christ the priest. Christ the priest for sacrifice. And Jesus has two priestly roles in the Bible. The first is singular and the second the second is, is a continual. The first was a one-time event for all mankind. The second continues throughout the present until when he returns. And of course the first work of the priest of Jesus was his work upon the cross. And he's unique because he wasn't just the priest, he was also the sacrifice. And a priest is a mediator who comes between the people and God and offers a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And Jesus is unique because he came before the people and God and he offered himself as the sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. What does John the Baptist, the last prophet before Jesus, say when he sees Jesus on the beach? He declares to the crowd, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 2 verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is both priest and sacrifice. He stands between us and God and offers himself upon the cross to put things right between us and God. He is unique. He is the only way. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5 verse 19. He writes, for just as though as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Jesus died for you and me. And so he writes in verse 10 of that chapter 5, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Jesus is unique because he is both the priest and the sacrifice. And that was a once-for-all event. He died for us, and that is done. We, he pays the price. He, if you like, gives us the ticket through faith in him into the kingdom of God, into this new life of following him as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But his role doesn't stop there. 
because he carries on now this role as a priest and he stands so he, he's at the right hand of the father and at, at the right hand of the father he intercedes for us constantly this is the wonderful picture we find of jesus in the new testament hebrews 4 says this therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven jesus the son of god let us hold firmly to the faith we uh, profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way as we are, and yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The Bible says that Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father, and he's there day by day, night by night, 24-7, interceding for you and for me. He is our advocate. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. For there is one God and mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. He says, who then is there who condemns us? No one. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for you and me. Jesus is there. When you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you feel overwhelmed by all the things going on around you, Jesus is there. You can go to him. He's interceding for you. When you're struggling with life, when you're struggling for temptations, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what time of day or night, you can go because Jesus is already mentioning your name. To the Father. He intercedes for us 24-7. This is why John writes this beautiful verse in 1 John 2 verse 4. John says this, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We have an advocate, someone who's on our side, someone who's speaking on our behalf, someone who's bigging us up. And Jesus is bigging you up right now before the Father because you are precious to Jesus and you are precious to God. We have a great high priest, only one, only one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. And lastly, we have Jesus not just as a, a prophet, and not just as a priest, but also as a king. As a king. Christ is the king, the sovereign the famous um, other reformer next to Luther, Zwingli, uh, wrote and said these words. He said this, he said, Christ is the head of all believers who are his body, and without him the body is dead. Jesus rules over the church by his Holy Spirit. As Peter told the crowd on the day of Pentecost, he said that God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of this, exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus is the King of the church. He doesn't just hold the church together. He actually holds the whole universe together. Read about this in Colossians 1, where Paul says, For in him all things were created, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
You know, when your life is falling apart, when things are going wrong, when things are falling apart, go to him. Go to him because he holds everything together. If you're glue in your life, if you want something to bring integrity, to bring wholeness, you're not going to find it in the world. You find it only in him because he holds all things together. It's in the Bible. Colossians 1 verse 17. He holds all things together. Go to him if you want wholeness. He will put you back together. He will hold you together. Spend time with him every day. He will hold you together. Jesus, Sola Christus. And one day all things will be brought under him. Ephesians 1 and verse 9 and 10 says this. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Jesus brings all things together under him. He is the king. He is the sovereign of people. He's not just another king like um, like we can find, go down to uh, Buckingham Palace and we look at the future king. We, could, we can find um, Prince Charles. He is not just a king. He is the king of kings. In Revelation 19 verse 16, John, when he was having his vision, he said that he saw this man and on his robe and on his thigh, he had the, this name written, King of Kings. So the Christos, he's not just a king, he is the king, the king of all kings. The one who holds together the very universe. This is our saviour. And this is the one we might, in whom we must give glory to. To give glory to anyone else is in fact to give away the glory that belongs to the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you know the story of Fair Rock, the kind of rock you buy um, at, at the beaches, but... In the June the 19th century, you could buy what was called fair rock. It was, you go to a fair and you'd find it uh, sell this long confectionery, normally white, because it's simply boiled sugar put into a tube. And you walk around the fairground sucking on this, this, this boiled sugar, uh, giving yourself a, a sugar high. And there was an ex-miner called, from Burnley called Ben Bullock. And Ben Bullock was holidaying one year at um, Blackpool and he came across this fair rock. And he gave him an idea. And so he began to produce sticks of brightly coloured and lettered sugar at his Yorkshire-based factory in 1887. And he sent his first batch of lettered rock to the retailers in Blackpool. And it had the word Blackpool Rock all the way through the centre of the core of the bold sugar. And it was a great success. The retailers couldn't sell enough of it. And so they wanted more and more from, from Ben Bullock's Yorkshire factory. And so the whole idea of Blackpool Rock was born. The idea of a confectionery that had the name of the resort going right through the centre of it. Something sweet, but something that told you the message of the area from which you bought it. And so Jesus is our rock. And we need to have Christ going through the centre of us because Christ goes through the centre of the Christian gospel. 
It goes all the way from beginning to the end, to the centre of what God wants to teach us and wants to say to us. It is sola Christus. It is by Jesus alone. You cannot be, um, uh, cannot save yourself by your own goodness or by your works or by going to church or by anything else. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ, through what Jesus has done for us. He needs to go through your life like bright and rock. Many, many years ago, after a rousing performance of Beethoven's Night Symphony, the famous Italian conductor Arturo Toscanini is said to have told the orchestra this. He said to them, I am nothing. You are nothing. Beethoven is everything. Beethoven is everything. And so our performance is nothing. No matter how, uh, how good you are at performing your Christian faith, it is nothing. Even led by great teachers and by great leaders, Christian leaders, they are nothing. As Martin Luther learned himself, we can never save ourselves. Our works are nothing. Our holiness is nothing. Our charitable giving is nothing. Our church attendance is nothing. Jesus Christ is everything. We are saved by his performance, by his works, by his sacrifice alone. Sola Christus, Jesus is everything. You see, Christ alone isn't simply a slogan, a Reformation banner. It is a simple truth that you either live by or that you reject. It's a door by which you can nail the thesis of your life for all to read upon, or the door which you walk, walk away from and never seek to open. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, verse 13. Whoever is not for me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You can't sit on the fence with Jesus Christ. You either believe sola Christus, Christ alone, or you don't. And we have to make a decision, all of us. Sola Christus, or solar ego, solar me, solar Cole, solar Matthew, solar Brian, solar Fred, solar Sally, solar Brenda, solar whatever, is either solar Christ or solar you. There is no other answer. Is he our Reformation banner? Is he the flag we fly? above our lives or do we still fly the flag of our own independence that we're doing it our way that we're okay we don't need his help thank you very much indeed because if it's the way the truth and the life we go in our way is away from the correct way away from truth and away from life and when you walk away from life you're only walking in one direction and that's towards death we have to make a decision solo christus or so do me, and so do you. Folks, really read your read the Bible. Pray about this. If God isn't out there, then God won't speak to you. But if you ask God to reveal himself to you, he will. So do Christus. Come to know the Son of God, because he wants to speak into your life as a prophet. He is the only way to God as a sacrifice, and he wants to bring wholeness to your life as a priest. 
but he also wants to bring direction to your life as your king. Let me encourage each one of you to follow him as declared today by Christ alone. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you may speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, we pray may you speak into our hearts. And Father, if we're struggling with understanding and putting you first, if we're struggling about hearing you speak as a prophet, if we're struggling, Father, in, in, in receiving you as our sacrifice and submitting to you as our King, Father, by your Spirit, show us the way, the truth and the life that is Jesus. And bring us each one closer to you, that we may know his wholeness, his, his fullness and the richness and the hope that comes through knowing your Son, Jesus Christ. May we all declare, he is our Saviour and he is our only Lord.